0: What's up guys? Max here. A brand new episode of the Scuttlebutt Show. We are back live. It is just me today. Thanks to everyone who tuned in to that special episode with our friends Keith and Jason because that episode had a ton of positive feedback. I think we sent out incredible messages and just need to hear things uh, on that one. And It's been getting a lot of love, so I appreciate that. Thank you very much. I wasn't in here yesterday because I had to uh, take my dog to the veterinarian to have one of her teeth extracted, which poor thing. She's doing well. She's super tough. Uh, She's kind of chilling out today, but she had cracked one of her teeth playing too hard with one of her chew toys and uh, she had to get a tooth extracted. So we're back live today and I couldn't be more excited because we have some insane stories to cover, including an Air Force general, general, who uh, claims he has evidence of election fraud that will blow your mind. I can't even believe, I can't believe I I am going to report this, uh, but Hey, this is what's going on in the world of military news, um, as shocking as it may seem sometimes. I uh, I have some really cool other, some other really cool stories to cover today. Um, one of them, the first one, ever. and hey, by the way, uh, if you're listening to this on a podcast, make sure you get over and check out the clips on YouTube. If you're listening to this on YouTube, make sure you get over to the podcast and subscribe. Wherever you listen to podcasts and uh, stream it over there too, so you don't miss an episode and uh, you get the whole, the whole episode on podcast uh, uncut. So as well as head over to scuttlebuttshow.com where uh, we have all the merch and everything like the train to train Scuttlebutt Show coffee cup and the Scuttlebutt Show t-shirts, which are uh, awesome. So a few months ago, we covered a story, um, a big story on the Scuttlebutt Show. It was the um, fire on board the Bonhomme Richard warship in San Diego, California. Now the bottom Richard had caught fire over the summer, and during that fire, it it had a uh, taken serious damage. Firefighting efforts resulted in injuries, as well as the spread of COVID-19, as well as uh, downing the ship and 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 in, interrupting the whole schedule of the fleet. Because when a ship goes down like that, other ships are going to have to go take its place, and you know. We were talking about the kind of damage that a fire can cause on a ship, and we had some uh, some some scoop on some photos, some early photos that came out from inside the ship that I shared with you here. And I want to uh, I want to share this story with you guys because uh, now that they announced it, I feel extra confident in my um, broadcasting abilities to bring you guys the best information. So let me throw uh, seven minutes on the clock for whatever it matters. Uh, Not like I'm gonna follow it, but. The USS Bonham Richard, it has been announced that the USS Bonham Richard is going to be decommissioned. They are not going to repair the ship. So what does that mean? Basically, they have decided that the repairs on board are going to be too expensive slash not confident they can get it back up to the standard that it would need to be to be a performing warship for the United States Navy going on deployment cycle after deployment cycle. So that's going to be the end of the bottom Richard, which was, if I have my facts correct here, was, uh, commissioned in 1998. Let me double check that. It was commissioned in 1998 and it was, uh, uh, that was August 15th and it was in service until 16 July, 2020, the date of that fire where it was ported in San Diego, California. I have many, many, many friends who have deployed on board the, uh, the Bonham Richard, and I am sorry to see it go, go out like that. Um, I guess it is just the way of the world when you have to think about costs associated with rebuilding the ship and everything like that. Let me pull up my browser window here. So, uh, they have the, they have the ship and maybe I'll try playing that video, but the, the U S Navy will not repair the amphibious assault ship Bonham Richard, which burned for more than four days this summer in San Diego. That was announced by uh, rear admiral, Eric verhaeg Verhague commander of Navy Regional Maintenance Center, uh, they said that they did not come to this decision lightly, as I'm sure it was with a heavy heart and mind that they had to make this decision. But they say, in the end, resurrecting the devastated large deck amphib would have been too costly. The extensive damage to the flat tops, flight deck, island mast, and lower levels from the July 12th Inferno would have required 60% of the ship to be replaced. The rebuild and repair of the 22 year old amphib would have cost between two and a half and $3.2 billion and would have taken five to seven years. And then to turn a ship into a hospital ship would have cost more than a billion dollars and taken the same amount of time. So one of the ideas was, could they just turn the, the bottom into a hospital ship and use it for a different purpose? By contrast, decomming the ship will cost $30 million and be implemented over the next nine to 12 months. So what's, the question is then who's going to pick up the slack for the bottom Richard. So having a ship not in service, um, I wonder who's going to have to go have to go do the uh, do the work. So um, unfortunately, uh, the loss of one of the Navy's mightiest symbols of sea power came after the bottom Richard had already been in the shipyard for 18 months. Like like we reported, they had just undergone this major maintenance cycle on board the bottom Richard when a fire happened. And I did suspect now that they have reported back then and still that they're investigating it as possibly arson. I did say it could have been a disgruntled shipyard worker, Uh, and the ship had just taken on $250 million worth of upgrades to accommodate the F-35Bs, and now they have to decommit. So there is uh, four separate investigations going on, including a criminal probe into whether the Inferno was caused by arson. Enver Haig declined to comment on the status of those investigations, which is pretty standard for criminal investigations. They're not going to go ahead and give out all their good information about the, the investigation before they have anything, you know, that to bring into court. So they'll probably take all the usable parts off the ship, uh, recycle as much of it as they can. Um, But most of it's just going to be probably sunk. So uh, it's undoubtedly, it's, it's doubtly, I'm sorry, excuse me. First story of the day. I get my tongue twisters out. It's doubly unfortunate because the ship had just completed an extensive modernization. Bradley Martin, a retired service warfare officer and senior policy researcher at the Corp, said in an email, the Navy will likely manage the operational impact by tasking other ships. And this is exactly the dynamic that leads to long-term readiness problems. I agree. He says it's a very bad outcome. So that means basically fewer ships are going to complete the same amount of work or potentially more work because you never know what the operational tempo is going to be. Uh, from one day to the next. There could be a surge like there was recently and we got that story today too. So there's going to be a uh, a an increased workload to the sailors that are supporting that AOR as they deploy their ships more frequently. One thing they could do is do a crew swap so one crew comes back, gets replaced by another crew, that crew takes the next deployment but we'll see because now they're going to have all these sailors. That's another thing too is they're going to have all these sailors who are on board the bottom of shard who now need to go somewhere back to the fleet. So if you lose a ship, that's a... couple thousand people now who, and not only the people on the ship, but there's also going to be an empty spot on the dock. So there's, there's all these ripple effects. There's going to be all these outward ripple effects of people who are going to need to find out where to go. When a ship gets decommed like that, you're going to have a bunch of sailors sitting around just, you know, coking and joking, having a good time while they wait for orders. And those orders might suck. So, I feel bad for those guys. If you are on board the bottom Rashard and you watch the Scuttlebutt Show, I would love to talk to you. I don't care if you're an E1 or an O5. I would love to talk to you and find out what's going on out there in the bottom Richard. Or if you know somebody who's on the bottom Richard, give them my information, the show gmail.com. I'd love to hear what's going on. So it says the flight deck and hangar deck were heat damaged and probably damaged beyond proper repair. So that's another thing is if they could fix it, would it be fixed up to the, the, seaworthiness that a ship needs to be uh, would it pass inspection the magazines and areas for stowage of munitions and fuel may not have been properly repairable so you don't want to have another fire like this the most flammable stuff on the ship needs to be stored in proper uh, areas also the damage caused by the firefighting may have had long-term adverse impact including to the hull which uh you know the and the frame of the ship which you might not even know until it's too late now uh, NCIS declined to comment on this. Uh, we got a picture of the ship firefighting efforts right here. I mean, I just can't imagine being on board the bottom of and, uh, and just watching your ship burn, watching your ship burn, watching your home burn, where you live, where you've lived all your life and had all these experiences watching it go up in flames. That's a bummer. And, uh, it goes on to, you know, continue to talk about the impact on mission readiness and, uh, and all that. Now my, my, my main thoughts on this are what's going to happen to the crew of the bottom of What's going to happen to them? Maybe they could do a crew swap with one of the other ships in that class. When they when the new ship goes out in deployment, comes back, and they do, they do a crew swap with the bottom Richard, they take that ship out. Um, but I'm curious to see how the Navy's going to handle that. I'll be sure to report on that. And then the other thing is, what happened? What ha- we got to find out what happened. What actually happened on board the bottom Richard? We're going to need answers. Okay, we are going to need answers. The Scuttlebutt Show needs answers as to what happened on board the bottom Richard, and as soon as we get them, I will report them to you. Now, here's what I want to show you guys, okay? Let me let me brush the dirt off my shoulders a little bit. Uh, here's m- me uh, in August of this year reporting on the USS Bottom Richard. Okay, so here's some pics from... Wait, hold on. My bad. Hey, let me figure this. Let me... What happened here? Oh, yeah. All right. Here's me reporting on what happened on the uh, bottom Richard. Okay, so here's some pics from inside the ship. And from the looks of it, I don't know if they'll just repair it or decom the ship and replace it, which would be a $4 billion price tag. But if repairs are going to take years and may not be able to make it strong enough again in a timeline that the Navy's happy with, they might just write it off. I don't know. What do you guys think? All right, so as you can see, I had uh, made a guess that they were probably going to decom this ship. Um, I had a feeling that that was going to happen. Now, the last question would be, How are they going to decom it? Are they going to sink it? So one thing that's common when they decom ships is to take the kind of empty shell of the ship and give it a burial at sea where they take it out to sea and they fire some weapons at it and sink the ship. And that's not just cool to do, uh, and it's not just a good way to send the ship off with honors, but it's also a good test of our weapon system. So what would it take to sink that ship? The best way to find that out is to sink one of our own. We've got the most powerful warfighting seagoing Navy in the world. What would it take to sink one of our ships? Let's find out. So, and then make sure we have the power to sink our own ships because we want to make sure our weapons work the way that we think they do. And it's the best test is a real world test. So, I look forward to seeing when they uh, what they do with the Bonham Richard. I will bring that to you guys one hundred percent. I guarantee it. When I hear something, I'll bring that to you guys. And uh, stay tuned for more of that as it comes. So that's it for that story. Um, thanks for checking that one out with me. We've got a bunch more uh, stories to get to today, including that general who who's making some insane. I can't even believe this is a real thing in claims about, uh, election fraud. So you guys drop me a comment. If you have any questions or uh, want to tell me something, you can always email me at the gmail.com and on all the social medias at the gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Um, and the next story that we have today is as you guys probably know by now, uh, one of the fastest ways to get featured on the scuttlebutt show is to be somewhat of a hometown hero. And we do have another hometown hero to report on, okay? This is a Army soldier who recently responded to a medical emergency inside of a Walmart. And let's talk about this. Let me throw seven minutes on the clock, and let's get to it. So this is the uh, Army medic who performed life-saving CPR on a stranger at Walmart. And this article is from Task and Purpose. He's quoted, I have the skills and responsibility to help others, whether they are a soldier or a civilian. Love that. So a combat medic with the Army's world-class athlete program saved a woman's, which you know I need to look up what this Army's world-class athlete program is. Saved a woman's life in September while shopping with his family. Sergeant Samuel Koski was shopping at a Walmart in Colorado Springs, Colorado, on September 18th when he heard a child screaming. I told my wife to keep the kids where she was and ran over to the aisle where I found the older woman lying on the ground. He is a former marathon runner with the world-class athlete program. Uh, She was not breathing, so I told the other woman standing there to dial 911 while I cleared the area and assessed the situation. He gave the woman CPR until she was breathing again. Then once she was conscious, Koski escorted the upset child to his wife and kids who helped him calm down. So what I love about this is not only did he get involved, but his family got involved too. You know, as we know, the family of a service member serves as well. And uh, in this case, they came to the rescue and aid of a family in need. So... uh. Other athletes and staff in the WCAP didn't know anything about Cusky's heroic actions until a week later when it came up in a casual conversation. So, you know, what I like about that is so often um, these, like like, like, I'm always saying on the show, it's very common that service members end up coming to the aid or help or assistance of regular people throughout their day-to-day lives. It happens all the time. It's happened to me. I've talked about it before on the show. I'm sure it's probably happened to you or someone you know. It's probably happened recently. And uh, what I love about this is he didn't even consider to seek any recognition or even bring it up as a big deal. It only came up because it just happened to come up. And then once the Army or, you know, the military, the Navy, whatever it is, uh, in this case, it's the Army, gets wind of this type of thing, they usually will go ahead and present some kind of honors or recognition to the brave acts that these people, you know, military veterans and their families exhibit on a daily basis. So... The WCAP commander, Bryce Livingston, said he didn't know anything about it until Koski's supervisor recommended him for an award, and he described Koski as extremely humble. I was shocked to find out, but not surprised, because that is just the kind of person Sergeant Koski is, Livingston said. He is a leader, and I could always count on him to get tasks done. Koski credited his medic training for his actions that day, saying he's proud to be a medic, and that applies 24-7. That's so awesome. Good for you. Good for you. Uh, did they say what his rank was, Sergeant, Sergeant Koski? Good for you, Sergeant Koski. Thank you for being a a great example of what the Army is, a great example of what a medic is, a great example of what a veteran is, and coming to the aid of somebody in need. And it just so happened to be at a Walmart. So I wonder if this was like a people at Walmart scenario. Uh, Let me know, as always, if you or someone you know has rushed to the aid of somebody on your way to work while out shopping, whatever it is, um, save some, you know, People out in town, car accident. You know, I can just, I've been, we've been over these scenarios before. Let me know how it went down. I'd love to hear that story in the comments down below. And uh, thanks for checking out that story with me. So I like to include, you know, a couple nice, heartwarming stories uh, throughout the day. As, you know, what I like to do is go a little bit serious, a little bit lighthearted, a little bit serious, a little bit lighthearted. And that's what we're doing today because we've got that super crazy story at the end here, which uh, I'm excited to. Report. I don't know how I, I don't know how I feel about it. To be honest, It's kind of kind of mind blowing. I don't know what to think about it. Um, and then we've got one more serious story, which is the one that I'm about to get to. But hey, uh, while we're here, I just want to say thank you to you guys for listening to the show. It means a lot to me. Thanks for checking out the episode with Jason Keith the other day. Like I was saying, um, that episode, the podcast is titled "Failing Forward," and um, it was just a, a really meaningful episode because. I think that we probably, we all know someone who has been affected by uh, depression or suicide. Uh, And unfortunately, in the military community, there's a huge problem with that. And I've seen the friend of the show, the Marine Rappers, working on that every day now. And he's been saying it's not about suicide awareness. It's about suicide prevention. And as you guys may or may not know, the Veteran Crisis Hotline is open 24-7. I'll go ahead and post the number to that in the description of this episode. So if you or someone you know is suffering, going through some things, hit up the Veteran Crisis Hotline and talk to somebody. Reach out to a friend. Reach out to a family member. Just don't keep it a secret, okay? That's the biggest thing is don't keep it a secret. Don't keep it to yourself. You don't have to be alone on this. You can can and you should reach out for some help, okay? That's my message to you guys. Now, um, including me. So if you need to reach out to me at the at gmail.com or the show on Instagram or Facebook, uh, and I'll get back to you. So I, uh, you know, there's there's something just out there in the air this week um, because, let me throw seven minutes on the clock real quick, because this week an Iranian nuclear scientist was killed by a machine gun, robot turret in the back of a car while he was driving. Um, details on that are vague and sc- spe- uh, scarce right now. But if anything more about that comes up um, that is relevant to military news, I will share that with you. But uh, the story I'm, I'm going to share with you today is the USS Nimitz is back at war. The USS Nimitz is quickly deployed in a surge to get back to the Middle East. The government including Secretary of Defense Chris Miller, former Green Beret, who we reported on a few weeks ago, says that this has nothing to do with the recent assassination of that Iranian physicist, but it does come out at at around the same time uh, as Iran threatens revenge for whoever did that. Now, the Nimitz has deployed because the military has recently announced that they are... Going to be drawing down in Iraq and Afghanistan to 2,500 people per country. 2,500 Americans in Iraq, 2,500 Americans in Afghanistan by January 15th. Let me put that into some perspective. Uh, Bagram Air Force Base at one point, I think, held over 20,000 people. That was in Afghanistan. Al-Assad Air Base in Iraq at one point in time held, I think, think 50,000 people. That is one base in Iraq and one base in Afghanistan. We, uh, the United States, turned these bases into cities. Like, if you have not been there, it's hard to understand. Like, you would walk, there would be, like, a mall. Like, you could go to the mall, okay? It's not like, you know, the gallery in your hometown, but it's a series of shops, you know, long corridors of shops selling rugs and suits and hookahs and all this, these souvenirs, swords and all, whatever, all kinds of stuff that you can imagine. Um, you could go to McDonald's, you could go to pizza hut, you go to, you know, the green bean, you could get all of these, uh, all, all of these, all of these luxuries that you're used to at home in a war zone in Iraq, in Afghanistan. Tell me what your favorite luxury is, uh, wherever you were to play to. Now that's, that's one base. And there wasn't only one base like this. I mean, there were highways there were highways on these bases, traffic lights, like you name it. Okay. We built cities now with only with one base having had 50,000 people, another base having, you know, 20, 30,000 people, one base per country. We're talking about now going down to 2,500 people per country. That's effectively no one. Okay. And let's think about it like this. The ratio of people that are there to engage in combat versus those who are there to support, it's probably five to one. I'm going to guess it's five to one because every unit that deploys out there is going to have to have aviation support. Okay. So let's go, let's call. let's call all aviation support. Uh, And even though they're likely to encounter combat while they're there, especially doing medevac missions, insertions, extractions, they're not, you know, boots on the ground, attacking targets. So there's aviation support. Then there's medical support. Each of these places is going to have to have sites that are able to provide at least, you know, level one or level two trauma care. So they're going to be medical support people out there. Then there's going to be supply support people out there, people ensuring that they get materials out there. Then there's just going to be administrative support. People who are scheduling events, people who are making sure that people are, you know, people's uh, admin stuff is taken care of, awards and evals and, you know, family stuff, pay, so you have all of that. And then you have the people who are there to fight, who tend to be this, it's the smallest number of people. If you, if you think about it, it's like kind of hard to imagine if you've never been there. But the, the one of the smallest numbers of people on the ground are people who are actually there to fight, infantry and special forces. So out of those 2,500 people, how many people are actually there to engage in combat? And then spread those people out across a country, okay? Spread those people out across a country. And what is the what is the ability of them to affect the battle space at that point? I mean, think about it. Like, what is, what's 500 people going to do in a country to support the rebuilding of their government? Because this isn't like hunting a couple individuals, right? We haven't been doing that for a long time. I mean, we do that, but the fact is... Uh, we're out there because we're trying to stabilize the nation for us to completely pull out and let them stand on their own. So what are a couple hundred people going to do in that regard? How are they going to rebuild the government? I'm not saying this to put down the military and military does, is going to continue to do incredible things with small numbers of people, but it's obvious that the government of the United States is not interested in pursuing that goal anymore is what I'm saying. So by removing the vast, vast majority of the fighting force out there and leaving it so bare bones with the fewest amount of possible people just to be able to support themselves, what are they going to be able to do to affect enough change in that country that a complete pullout of our presence in those countries will be successful and allow that region, Iraq or Afghanistan, to be able to defend themselves against their own internal threats? Uh, In my opinion, likely not much. But, Let me pull up, so that's a lot of uh, background here, but let me pull up the internet. So the aircraft carrier to USS Nimitz has returned to the Middle East in case it is needed to provide air support during the drawdowns in Iraq and Afghanistan. Acting Defense Secretary Chris Miller has announced that the U.S. military will reduce its footprint to 2,500 troops in Afghanistan and 2,500 troops in Iraq by January 15th. The DOD ordered the Nimitz to return to the U.S. CENCOM Theater of Command, CENCOM, Central Command. To make sure that the U.S. military has additional defensive capabilities for any contingency. So an aircraft carrier can provide air support to multiple countries from its place in the uh, Middle East where it's sailing around the Gulf. And. And from there, uh, they can support troops in Iraq, they can support troops in Afghanistan, they can send in planes to go um, basically do uh, airstrikes and provide intelligence. So. They're going to be working hard doing that. They do a great job. We rely on them to protect us on the ground. Uh, When I was on the carrier, I was proud to be supporting that effort for sure. The Nimitz has been back in the waters off the Middle East since November 25th, which is only about a week ago. Um, A spokesperson from the 5th Fleet, Commander uh, Rebecca Reberich. Reberich, um, I am not good with names. There were no specific threats that triggered the return of the Nimitz carrier strike group. The return of the Nimitz is centered on maintaining SenCom's ability to remain postured and prepared to help preserve regional stability and security. So um, it is just happens to be around the time of the killing of that scientist. But if you think about it, they couldn't have gotten to the Gulf on November 25th. That would mean literally within hours they were there, but they still had to sail a long way. So this is obviously before that. But if the government knew something about that attack, they could have preemptively sent the ship over there, I guess. Uh, oops, sorry about that. Uh, just gave away one of the future stories, but hopefully you didn't see that. Um, even though no country has taken responsibility for the November 27th killing of, uh, the Iranian scientist, I'm not even going to say the name. Officials have publicly blamed Israel and vowed to retaliate for his death. It is unclear what actions Iran might take, but following a U.S. airstrike in January, that killed Major General, uh, Qasem Soleimani. Commander of the Islamic uh, Revolutionary Guard Corps, Iran launched several ballistic missiles at Iraqi military bases that housed U.S. troops. Um, And that's the end of the article. But look, uh, I I hope that this is not the beginning of a conflict with Iran right at the time that there was a transfer of power among the presidents. Uh, That would be obviously very tricky. Now, is it also a good time to pull out all the troops from Iraq and Afghanistan? As I've said before on the show, I think the time to completely pull out of Iraq and Afghanistan has passed. I think it any time would be the right time. I think any time in the last seven or eight years would have been the right time, minus the conflict with ISIS. But um, af- pulling out of Afghanistan, uh, I think the, t- the time is way overdue. It's way overdue to pull out of Afghanistan. Um, only because, and I only say that because not that there's no threat or that there's no... Um, Theoretical reason to stay, but because our government is not pursuing any serious action in Afghanistan as far as committing the manpower and the resources to make any big changes there. So, as long as our government's not doing that, just pull the troops out. Just don't keep a few people there just to stay. You still have a few people there. It doesn't make any sense to me. So, that's my thoughts on that. Um, but if you're on the USS Nimitz and you're out there right now, I'm, th- I'm sure that you are not able to send me an email or see this show, but uh, I'm thinking of you guys. I've been on an aircraft carrier. I've been deployed to the Middle East on an aircraft carrier. It is definitely um, a lot of hard work and a lot of uh, important work being done. Saving lives out there. That is for sure. That is guaranteed. So thank you to you guys for doing that. Uh, Keep doing it. Keep doing your thing. Um, And keep saving lives and putting warheads on foreheads, as they say. All right. So that's it for that story. I hope you guys uh, got something out of it. If you've ever been on an aircraft carrier, let me know. I'm curious to see uh, what your aircraft carrier experience was, and if you think that your time on an aircraft carrier was meaningful as far as making a difference in the war, and if not, let me know why. I think that there's a big problem with junior sailors not understanding their role in the war fighting effort on board a ship. When you're on a ship, your world gets really small. Your world, you don't take off on those jets that go fly those missions, and you rarely see the video feeds from it. So, you probably don't really know what you're, what you're doing. You just, you're there and you're doing important stuff and you are told that, but you don't really see it. So for all the junior, junior sailors out there, you know, the Joes who are getting after on the flight deck, uh, chalking and chaining and, you know, doing maintenance and carrying toolboxes and making the ships steam through the, through the seas. Uh, you're doing important work. Keep it up. Good job on you. um, we're doing pretty good on time, I would say. It's only about halfway through our episode. We might not even go an hour today. Might not even go an hour. We're we're not always committed to going an hour. We can go more. We can go less. We went about an hour and a half uh, on Monday. So, I saw this. This story came across my radar. Um, I believe on Sunday. Um, I want to say it was on Sunday, and it might have been even on Saturday. So. I saw this, and I almost stopped what I was doing to do a video on it. I did. I uh, I was going to drop everything, head into the office here, into the studio, and make a video about this story because I thought it was so fun. Um, nothing serious here, nothing to get upset about, although I'm sure some of you will. Some of you are going to get upset and leave negative comments, and that's okay. That's kind of what this whole story is about. A member of the Air Force has recently been... Um, Making headlines for being seen out in uniform with some of those red bottom shoes. And I only know this because if I think Nicki Minaj, right, those are red bottoms, those are money moves. Is that Cardi B? I don't know. Anyway, they're Louis Vuitton's, uh, which are apparently really fancy shoes. And while out walking around in her dress blues, uh, the internet has exploded with opinions as it tends to. Uh, Why is a female service member wearing $700 heels in uniform? And is that even authorized? Can you wear, can you wear your own shoes in uniform? So let's get right into it. Let's talk about it. What was that? What was that thing I just did? I was trying to do like the thinking face, but I don't know how to do faces. So a female Air Force service member was seen in $700 shoes. So Red heels are the mark of designer Christian Louis Vuitton, whose shoes are a status symbol in the footwear world. But to the online military community, they could be anything from an act of rebellion against uniform regulations to downright financially irresponsible purchase. We'll talk about that here in a minute. So U.S. Army WTF Moments Instagram shared an image of a female service member in dress blues sporting her likely hard-earned Louis Batons, Louis however you say it, noting that they aren't sexist for doing so. But the tweet ultimately drew backlash as a majority of the responses from military Twitter indicated support for a woman's right to choose her own shoes, whether they cost $695 or not. So one user said, uh, the male uniform guidelines specifies that the soles cannot be a contrasting color, but there are no such specifications for the female service pump, adding commercial designs are authorized. So just to clear this up right now, she was totally authorized to do this. And I believe in the Navy as well. I do believe in the Navy females are allowed to pick their own shoes for their dress uniforms for the heels. So men are held to the standard of seeking out dress shoes with non-contrasting heel and sole. That same stipulation is not required of women who are free to select any pump of a commercial design in black or white fabric. The pumps are untrimmed with a closed toe and heel. The heel must be at least half inch, but no more than three inches. The sole thickness will not exceed a half an inch. When a handbag is carried, the shoes and handbag must be made of the same material. So, hey, maybe we should go out and get a handbag too. I think that she should get the matching set. Actually, I think Louis Vuitton should sponsor her and, uh, and get her a whole outfit. That's what I think. How can we get this video in front of Louis Vuitton, Christian Louis Vuitton, so she can get the nicest gear that she can? And I support any female veteran, you know, serving active duty, if, or they're retired and they're going back in their dress uniform to get the nicest damn shoes you want and get the nicest bag that you want and really do it up. There's no reason to have to wear those cheapo shoes from the uh, exchange, which are a high price for the quality that they are. Like, you guys all know that when you go out to buy those dress uniforms, you're getting, you know, ripped off a little bit. Now, maybe she spent her uniform allowance on it. Maybe she took her uniform allowance that year and said, hey, you know what? My ribbons are in order. My medals are in order. I've got my uniforms pressed. They're good to go. My correct rank is sewn on there. I'm about to get some shoes. I'm about to take this uniform allowance and get some shoes. If I can find that who this person is, I will, uh, I will reach out and see if they want to be a guest on the show. I would love to hear about the feedback that they've been getting now with anything. Uh, the internet's going to have some ignorant jerks on there. Even I have been attacked online, my small YouTube channel. Uh, although we're small in following, we're big in presence and, uh, and I love doing the show and I appreciate every single one of you who listens. So people comment, uh, how the crap can she afford $1,000 shoes to wear in uniform? Like, what the what the heck? Here? And Military Times has a great uh, uh, comparison here where they say as if no other service member has invested their life savings on a PlayStation 5 or bought a Camaro and financed it at 27% interest. But go ahead. It's so funny. It's so true. Like, people spend their money on, like, the most dumb, unreasonable, unthinkable things we as military members waste so much freaking money. If it's if it's even just on alcohol and hotel rooms when we're on deployment, <laughs> that's that's more than enough to have, you know put a down payment on a car. I bet for most people. So, I say uh I say get a life there, hunter rider, and so this would be no big deal for the Air Force. she adds, heels are too high. The telltale signature makes them faddish, faddish. So there is a, it, I would call it like a. Catch all um, for uniform regulations, which is something can't be faddish. Faddish means it's a trend, it's a fad. You cannot have a fad haircut. You cannot have a fad uh, mustache. You cannot have it. You know any of that, and you can't have fad clothing as well. So I, I I'm assuming uh, that this person thinks that if they say faddish, they mean that they can just you know call whatever they want faddish, and it's a catch all, and they're good to go. So. Um, just get a life. I would say, like, get off her back a little bit, like, or you better not be driving around in, in a car you can't afford or something like that. Which honestly, I wouldn't even give you a hard time if you did, because I kind of laugh at it and I go, "Hey, you know what? That's the military life. That's the junior enlisted life. You go ahead and live that life." I don't know what this lady's rank is. Uh, I can't tell if that's captain on her arm or or what I'm looking at here. If you know Air Force rank well enough to know what her rank is from this uniform here, help me out. Uh, but what I do know for sure is she's got some super fly shoes and I'm down with that. So good for her. I'm glad to see her uh, out there representing for women in uniform. I think that's pretty cool. Um, She has my full support and I hope that Louis Vuitton finds her and uh, goes ahead and hooks her up with as many shoes as she wants to wear on those feet while she's walking around in those dress blues. Um, And if you're out there and you want to, you know, follow the uniform regulation, but then do your own thing. Like for the Navy, I always had long hair, but hey, you know the rule, four inches in length, two inches in bulk. If you want to rock that all day long, if you want to push that mustache to a quarter inch out on both sides of your lip, hey, you go ahead and do that too. Sideburns down to the bottom of your ear, wherever the uniform reg cuts off, you push those limits. I I totally support it. I did it my whole time in the Navy. Um, That's what the regulations are for, right? They're meant to be followed, but they're written in a way where it's like, hey, they put a lot of thought into that. If they wrote it that way, you go ahead and do it. What's the problem? so that's that uh, that's that story and now is a pretty cool one um, checking into the comments what's up Jones she saved her money yeah I spent all my money on booze too I'll tell you that um, there was a few years in the Navy where I was partying all the time just partying all the time after uh, my first Afghanistan deployment constantly uh, and hey it was uh, good times it was good times um, I remember trying to save my money let's see what was the first big military so I remember getting my enlistment bonus and going down to Tijuana, uh, (laughs) spending a weekend down in Tijuana with my like $1,100 enlistment bonus and partying it up, getting a nice hotel room, go down to Rosarito, do it again. Um, then I remember saving up my money to buy an iPod, uh, an iPod was a big purchase only to then buy the iPod and realize that I had to also have a computer to put music on it. So I get home back to the ship. This was when I was on the aircraft carrier. I get home to the ship with an iPod. I open it up and I'm like, where's the music? How do I put my CD onto this thing? Then I realized that you can't do that. You have to have a computer as an interface between the iPod and your music collection. So I had to go save up even more money to go back to the Apple store in Fashion Valley in San Diego and buy a computer. And then I finally could have my first portable music mp3 player the ipod the first ipod with the big wheel and the big buttons and it weighed like a pound and a half and i carried that thing around i was so proud i was so proud of that thing i had big headphones plugged into it Ah, oh, i had that in my pocket at the gym i don't know how we ever did it back then guys i don't know how we ever did it with those big mp3 players compared to what we have now but it was it was awesome i was so happy um i managed to save up my money for that and uh and I don't think I've ever successfully followed a single uniform regulation except for height and weight standards. So I'll, uh, I'm will i the last one to ever criticize somebody for being out of regs. Um, to me, its uh, I, I guess it's important, but it's just something I could never get. I could never, like, get my hair in regs. I could never get my sideburns in regs. It just was, like, something I just wasn't super focused on and I didn't consider ultra important. And so for those reasons, uh, I am out of the baby, <laughs> as they would say on Shark Tank. For that reason... I am out, and a civilian, Um, where now I actually have probably shorter hair and shorter sideburns, and I shave almost as often. I just keep that little two-day stubble on there, but uh, I'm still basically in regs, so you can spot me a mile away. Everyone still thinks that I'm in the military. That's fine. No problem with that. Now, oh my gosh, I got to change my sitting position for this next story because this is so crazy. This is the last story of today. This is so crazy and what's crazy is not even the story. Like, to me, it's not even the story that's the crazy thing. It's it's more like where this is coming from that's actually, like, just mind-melting insanity, okay? Are you guys ready for this one? Uh, an Air Force general, an Air Force general is claiming that he has evidence that U.S. soldiers were killed attacking a secret CIA facility in Germany that was harvesting ballots in an attempt to commit election fraud and confirm Joe Biden as president of the United States. I can't believe I just had to say that. I can't believe that I just had to say that. Like, the the fact that this is from a general gives it headline- Potential. This is a headline news story. Okay, so this is General Thomas McInerney, who you might have heard before on TV. He's gone on to become—he's retired, but he's gone on to become a political um, correspondent. He is claiming that uh, uh, U.S. special forces oper—a U.S. special forces operation on a CIA computer facility in Germany that was hiding information about a massive covert effort to flip votes from President Donald Trump to his opponent Joe Biden. Uh, Is he has evidence of it and he's saying it happened and getting people spun up about this. Now, uh, just to be clear right off the bat, the government is completely denying that this is a real thing. They're just saying it's just not a thing at all. It's total fiction, okay? That's what the government is saying. Now, during a state testimony where I think Rudy Giuliani was questioning um, uh, one of the state voter representatives about was was voter information streaming from voter sites where polling machines were connected to the internet to Frankfurt, Germany, and they did answer yes. So election officials did answer yes, that that did happen, uh, which just lends more attention to this insane story and even crazier, to go on to make it even crazier, he's also suggested that the service members who were killed in that helicopter crash a couple weeks ago, um, in that helicopter crash a couple weeks ago, were also downed by CIA operatives protecting um, uh, Democratic candidate Joe Biden. And somehow this was all related to the election fraud. Now, th- like to me, this is irresponsible of the general to do. Um, he, he is in a position of leadership where making claims like this, if they are not true and I don't think that they're true, um, there is no reason to think that they're true. There is no missing special forces members. There's no families missing their loved ones this Thanksgiving. There's no reporting of anything like this having happened from anywhere. Um, to then come out and say this, so let me pull up. Let me pull up the website here. There is no further evidence, zero evidence that this operation took place or anything like it than him saying so. Okay, so let's start with that. So, uh, Army Times reports. Um, In his unfounded version of events, U.S. Special Operations forces died in an attack on a CIA computer facility in Germany that was hiding information about a massive covert effort to flip votes from President Donald Trump to his opponent, Joe Biden. But even though Big Army and U.S. Special Operations Command have told Military Times that there was no such attack or loss of life, Retired Air Force Lieutenant General Thomas McInerney is sticking by his claims. They have become so widely distributed on social media that numerous accounts on Twitter falsely claimed that five soldiers killed in a Sinai helicopter crash were really killed in the firefight with the CIA. Which, by the way, if you guys remember that story that I reported on last week or two weeks ago, uh, they were part of a peacekeeping mission with a World Peace Organization. I don't remember exactly who it was, but definitely not... a. Uh, uh, combat mission on their helicopter crash. McInerney in an email to military times, did not offer any more information regarding the sources of what he told a conspiracy laden website over the Thanksgiving holiday, nor did he respond to the army statements about their falsehood. He did however, double down on his claims. This is a quote from McInerney president Trump won in a landslide and the Dems left so many footprints that this treason must be stopped. He told military times, this will be the last free election we have. And I predicted it on two November on the Steve Bannon show. Thomas McInerney was once a highly respected military leader who became the Air Force assistant vice chief of staff. So let's just think about this for a second. This guy had to reach that position of power within the Air Force. Now, if he's prone or inclined to suggest these types of uh, events taking place, if, if they're not true, and I'm operating under the Presumption that they're not true because there's no reason to think that they are true, but I'm just going to leave my bias out of it as far as the reporting goes. Then the Air Force did not pick up on this guy being this way and put him in one of the highest-ranking positions in the whole military. In all of the military, there's a handful of people who ever reached this the height that he had reached. So that's just something to think about. Like, how could the Air Force put this guy in this position if he's a, a a a wacko conspiracy theorist. If that's the case, now, I'm not going to say it is the case. Although I will tell you, I think it is. I'm just going to continue asking these questions. So he graduated from the U.S. Military Academy in 1959, and later earned a master's degree in international relations. The, he was a West Point graduate. He joined the Air Force and flew more than 400 combat missions during the Vietnam War. He earned honors, including the Distinguished Service Medal, Defense Superior Service Medal, uh, a bunch of other medals. So he, he's a he's a war hero. He served in Vietnam. He's a pilot. He, he conducted tons of combat missions. Not going to take anything away from him there. He assumed his role as the Air Force Assistant Vice Chief of Staff in July 1992 and then somehow went off the rails. After retiring, McInerney spent more than 16 years as a military analyst for Fox News. He was fired from the network in 2018, according to the Arizona Republic newspaper, after inaccurately claiming during an appearance on Fox Business Network that torture worked on John McCain who, in, who endured a brutal five and a half years as a prisoner of war in North Vietnam. The comments about McCain were among a, str- a string of false and controversial statements made by McInerney, according to the writer Jack Murphy, a Green Beret and Ranger veteran. So Jack Murphy says that uh, here are some claims made by General McInerney. He claimed Malaysian Flight 370, if you guys remember that flight, famously disappeared uh, several years ago, and it took a long time for them to find any uh, evidence of the, where, where it crashed, was hijacked and flown to Pakistan. He claimed we needed to go to DEFCON 4 just because. Oops, did not mean to click on that. Advocates massive airstrikes in a dozen nations. He is a fake news machine. And that's by Jack Murphy who is a Green Beret and Ranger veteran. So Now, in in this is this is the latest in a string of uh kind of out there claims by General McNerney. A new military-flavored conspiracy claims emerged over the weekend in connection to the widely debunked Dominion election fraud theory, which claims that voting machines deleted votes for President Trump or switched votes to Biden. That theory gained widespread traction when Trump, without verifiable evidence, amplified its claims. And then there's all these other theories. Now, the only thing I'll say here is that having listened to some of the uh, depositions during different state trials that this has been going on, um, a, a state representative, and I believe it's from Arizona, did say that polling did testify that polling machines were hooked up to the internet, which is against policy and that there were streams of that information going to Germany. They testified that. So I'm just going to leave that there. Okay. Um, Then I did find some other information that, uh, that in another article saying that when it comes to these claims that, uh, that a political um, fraud was conducted out of Germany, um, and the claim that the army raided the office of this, uh, uh, so here's the, ultimately what they're saying is the army rated offices in Frankfurt that belong to the company CITL, S C Y T L to seize servers that had evidence of voting irregularities on the election. Now the army, so let's, cons- so let's start there. The army as well as CITL, this company who is known as being like the world leader in intelligence on election polling machines do not have offices or servers in Frankfurt, Germany. So they're saying that, um, and I'll just I'm just gonna leave that information here. That's what they're saying. So, social media servers or users Saturday were sharing reports published by conservative websites claiming that servers were revealed that their servers revealed wrongdoing in the U.S. election, and that they had been confiscated by U.S. military forces in Germany. Most posts said the servers belonged to the software company. I hope I'm saying that right, which is based in Barcelona, and some suggested the servers housed information from Dominion Voting Systems. The false claims followed a Zoom call this week that featured Republican Representative Louis Gomer of Texas suggesting that U.S. Army forces had seized servers from a Frankfurt office of the software company SIDL, which, and again, I'll repeat again, the Army outright denies Um, In his remarks, which were widely shared on social media, Gomer acknowledged that the information about the alleged raid only came from a German tweet in German, and he said, I don't know the truth. The Associated Press reached out to Gomer's spokesperson but did not hear back. For his recorded remarks, Gomer said that he had heard from former intel people that Siddle maintained data that could be... Gleaned to prove Republican votes had been changed to Democratic ones on the November 3rd election. But according to the company, Siddle does not tally votes, nor is there credible evidence Republicans' votes were changed to Democratic votes in the election. I don't know. George Papadopoulos, a former Trump campaign advisor who pleaded guilty in the special counsel Robert Muller probe, tweeted on Friday afternoon, Breaking. Congressman Louis Gomera stated at the U.S. Army SC servers. Dominion in Germany. When asked by the Associated Press if the Army had engaged in an operation to recover servers in Germany, an Army spokesperson responded Saturday, those allegations are false. Siddle also refuted the claim as the fake conspiracy spread online. The company released a statement Friday titled, Fact-Checking Regarding U.S. Elections Debunking Fake News. In a statement, Siddle said, we do not have servers or offices in Frankfurt. The U.S. Army has not seized anything from SIDL in Barcelona, Frankfurt, or anywhere else. It also says SIDL does not tabulate, tally, or count votes in the U.S. Um, it goes on to say that the president general manager for SIDL's U.S. division told the AP, the Associated Press, the company had a temporary connection to Frankfurt last year. Backup servers in Frankfurt were used for a specific project for the European Parliament in 2019. These backup servers were closed in September 2019. When it comes to U.S. elections, though, Citadel products sold to U.S. customers are fully housed in the U.S., utilizing Amazon Web Services, uh, and have never been housed in Germany. It just it gets it gets deeper and crazier. Like the and the fact that they did track streams from um, from Arizona to Germany to Frankfurt uh, add to the conspiratorialness of this story, and they did testify that so. Then, but, but the army denies it. And then additionally, the, uh, William Barr, the attorney general said that there is no evidence of widespread fraud. Nobody has reported this operation actually happened. Nobody is saying that this is a real thing, uh, except for this general. And it's been suggested by another, uh, congressman. It was a Godel. Um, so, uh, go mayor. So, um, uh, it's, it's just insane. And then McInerney, the general who uh, is originally um, credited here with breaking this story, uh, has given it the legs that it has now to become this like giant story. Because if a three-star general of the military reports something is true, then you would think that they would be privy to such information and that their honor and service and dedication to duty would prevent them from lying or spreading any false information. So I can see why a story like this would take off. But to me, it makes no sense because if this happened and if SF members were killed, wouldn't there be a trail of family members missing loved ones, wondering where they are? Uh, wouldn't there be reports coming out of Germany instead of one single tweet that was in German? Um, but then the fact that there was anything at all is suspicious. Like, why did anything come out of anywhere? Why didn't anyone start spreading this story? Like, where does it come from? Is it is it just totally gleamed out of someone's imagination and then it spread or or what is going on? So uh, they say U.S. Special Forces Command seized a server farm in Frankfurt, Germany because they were sending this data from those six states through the internet to Spain and then into Frankfurt, McInerney told uh, House. Special Operations Forces seized those, that facility, so they have those servers and they know all this data they are providing. House then asked if the seizure went down without incident, to which McInerney said... Well, I've heard it didn't go down without incident, and I haven't been able to verify it. I want to be careful in that. It's just coming out, but I understand. My initial report is that there were U.S. soldiers killed in that operation. Now, that was a CIA operation, so that's very a very worrisome thing. House then says, but if you were saying that that was a CIA facility and that was where the server was taken from by the Special Forces, was a CIA facility in Germany? House asked the retired general who said, that's correct. Frankfurt, Germany, we have all this information. U.S. military officials said those allegations are false. A U.S. Special Operations Command spokesman told Military Times the command has not had a fatal incident since two soldiers died in a helicopter crash in California this August, and the most recent Special Forces combat deaths uh, resulted from an insider attack that killed two in Afghanistan on February 8th. An Army spokesperson that denied this theory told Military Times these allegations are definitely false. Um. This is this is crazy. Like, this is a crazy one. Uh, I don't know. So, the false claims about the Army's role in the election put out by McNerney have gained a lot of traction. Obviously, here's somebody with a big platform who have been on national TV, but then they have a track record of saying outlandish, crazy things, support, supporting conspiracy theories, says uh, says this. And in tens of thousands of people, for instance, have, have taken up claim about the supposed role of the 305th Military Intelligence Battalion, reposting it even on a college football message board's and vandalizing the battalion's wiki page. One Twitter user even shared a video of a tank moving through the desert with a slowed version of uh, the less I know the better song playing in the background, claiming it was troops from the battalion, which is obviously a fake, uh, manipulated video. Um, then again, and I reiterate, uh, a new twist on his theory says the five soldiers killed in a Hilo crash while supporting the multinational force of observers Sinai mission on November 12th were actually killed in the purported Frankfurt shootout with the CIA. Proponents of this theory, which has been shared tens of thousands of people on social media, offered no evidence. No evidence. They just, just remember for a second that there's no evidence this happened at all. There's only just tweets and a person with a weird track record saying that it happened. Um, and McInerney goes on to say that he's concerned about the spread of misinformation, which is interesting. Now, if more information about this comes out, I will be sure to share it. But for now, this is all that I have. Uh, it's just such a crazy story that a three star general I believe he retired as a three star general from the air Force would be in the spotlight for this like why would you report this as a, as a thing that happened as as the general if this was not confirmed information? why would you do that it's very confusing to me and then at this at the same time there's testimony from election committees that polling information was streamed to Frankfurt and that's who who is based in Barcelona did have a connection to Frankfurt last year. So all of that is crazy. I don't think there's anything to, to this story because um, it just doesn't make any sense that there would be, there's no evidence that it, there is. And the army is saying it didn't happen. The government's saying it didn't happen. Even the president has not weighed in on this. And I think he would know if something happened. So for now, I am assuming that this is totally false, you know, fake news, so to speak. But things are crazy right now. Conspiracies are crazy right now. News is crazy right now. People are going crazy right now with this election fraud stuff. So I'm curious to see what happens next. What's going to be the next big bombshell thing to come out about all this? Um, We will see. So thanks for checking out that story with me. We blew way past the seven minutes on that one, didn't we? So... Look, we came up on almost an hour today. I I thought for a minute we weren't going to make it uh, that long, but we did. Uh, It always seems to be that way. Four or five stories. We always seem to get there an hour every day. Every day there's some crazy stories to talk about. So I want to thank you guys for checking out the show. As always, as you always do, you're amazing. I love you guys for coming to check this out, Uh, talking to me. Uh, Jones, thanks for commenting in. Um, That story is crazy, man. That story is crazy. I hope you guys are all well out there. Hope your families are well I hope you're having happy holidays, happy Thanksgiving, merry Christmas. Um, as we're coming up into December now, or we are in December now, I am excited. Uh, I am going to sign off here in a moment. Go walk my dog, who is toughing it out. Tooth extraction yesterday, being a tough, a little tough doggo. If you guys ever want to see my dog, you let me know. I'll bring. I'll do an episode all about her. So come on here with me, and I'll ask her some hard-hitting questions. Which bone is best? Which kibble is nicest? Who is a good girl? All the hard-hitting questions. You guys let me know what you want to hear. Hey, happy uh, Tuesday back in the United States. It's Wednesday here in Okinawa, Japan. So I've got some things I got to go get to. I look forward to talking to you guys all very soon. Very, very soon. In fact, 23 hours from now. And I am out for now.